<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the um, downtown Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. There's been a lot of um, news going on and buzz, and we have uh, we're entering into the, um, the 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 start of the final leg of our political season here. Uh, it's convention time um, next month. Excuse me, next week. Netroots. Um, Nation will be convening in St. Louis, and the following week it will be the Republican convention in Cleveland, and then the week after that the Democrats convene in Philadelphia. So July is going to be packed with conventions, and we've talked with um, Brooke, Raven Brooks, the uh, executive director of Netroot Nation, in 2012, and um, we've had a number of shows already this year on this upcoming political season. And we thought it would be, there's a new book coming out that we thought would be of interest in kind of talking about the role of the Internet and its playing in our politics today and in this particular election. And we're fortunate to have uh, one of the authors of one of, the, of this book, um, Matthew Kerbel. He's a professor at the Villanova University, and he's the author of Next Generation Netroots, Realignment and the Rise of the Internet Left. Um, Professor, are you with us? I am, Bennett. How are you today? Thank you very much, man. Very fine. And it's great to have you. And um, so when did this book is very recently released? Uh, the book was just released a few weeks ago with Routledge, yes. And so again, for those of you who like that fresh newsprint, please get it right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know about the electronic version. So you've you've actually written quite a bit on the whole role of the the internet and the netroots movement um, already. I mean, you've written them on netroots online progressives and the transformation of American politics, um, and previously and um, media politics in the cynical age and among other books. So, what led you to um, revisit the, this um, topic? So you could think of this as a sequel to my previous book, Netroots, which came out a few years ago. Uh, And the origin of that book really uh, is with some of the earlier work I did. Uh, I started writing in the 1990s about television and the detrimental effects of television on political and social engagement. Uh, and you know, one of the one of the main themes that ran through that work was how television uh, has a tendency to disenfranchise, disempower individuals, to turn us away from political action. Uh, and then uh, around the turn of the century, I started noticing. Uh, as many people did, uh, what was happening online. And in particular, uh, I noticed what was happening with the uh, Howard Dean campaign uh, and his, uh, his blog, uh, which uh, was uh, filled with activity. And uh, you know, I just started reading uh, diaries and I started reading comment threads. And what you saw there was so different from anything uh, that you saw um, with television. 
Uh, and you know, again, the internet was still an extremely young medium. It was an extraordinarily young medium when it comes to political activity. Uh, but clearly, something was going on there. People were engaged. They were buying in. Uh, they felt an ownership of the candidate and the campaign. Um, and these are the things that I had previously been discussing as being missing from our politics. And that got me interested in uh, the way the internet can function as a political medium, uh, in particular, the way the internet can function as a political medium that's suitable for social movements. And one of the points that I make in Netroots, which deals with the early stages of uh, internet activism, is that the architecture of the internet is so different from television because it enables people to find political individuals and activities and issues that are of interest to them. So the internet allows us to come to it. Television is a top-down medium. It comes to us. The message is centralized and it comes from the top. And you know, I looked at this and I thought, you know, anybody who figures this out and is able to be or is savvy enough to figure out that uh, if they can relinquish enough control over their uh, political efforts to allow people to find them, uh, this is going to revolutionize the way politics is done. And in fact, we've seen that happen. But we've also seen the Internet mature. So in the last few years, we've entered the social media age. When I wrote Net Roots, we hadn't done that yet. And along with that maturation, we've seen a maturation of uh, the uh, progressive movement online. So I wanted to write a sequel book that dealt with this second generation of Internet activism. And to do so, uh, I teamed up with Chris Bowers, uh, who um, anybody who's involved in uh, progressive politics uh, will recognize Chris's name. He was an early blogger uh, and a very influential blogger, and he works currently uh, with Daily Coast. Uh, so uh, the idea was that Chris had a front row seat, was engaged in this, and uh, I've written about uh, this phenomenon. So we thought, we thought that together uh, we would be able to combine our perspectives, uh, and we did, and the result was this book, Next Generation Netroots. Now, it's, it's interesting. For you, the story begins with Howard Dean. And, and I mention that because it seems that is the thread. You know, how, Howard Dean begets Obama 2008, which then begets Sanders 2016 and, um, you know, Zephyr, um, Chi um, as well, since she was the online engagement, um, director for, um, Howard Dean is now running for Congress. You have this, this kind of spillover of, of, you know, the Obama people and the Dean people all kind of being part of the, the Sanders, um, movement in terms of the consulting firm. Um, revolution um, strategies. So, it, it, is, is that really? Is that? Do you see that threat? I absolutely do, from a technological sense. Uh, from a political sense, not quite. Uh, so, I think absolutely what you're saying is right, Bennett. There's no question that you can draw a direct line from the Dean campaign to the Obama campaign to the Sanders campaign, uh, and certainly. Uh, you could look at the Obama campaign as, uh, as, as learning from some of the mistakes of the Dean campaign. Uh, remember, the Dean, the Dean campaign surprised even Howard Dean. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody expected uh, to see such a groundswell of engagement online. Uh, and the Dean campaign was always trying to stay one or two steps ahead of what was happening, and, and, and often they couldn't uh, because they simply didn't have the personnel. So give that four years, uh, take the experience of those who were engaged in, uh, in, in running that campaign, uh, and, uh, and, and give them uh, a budget and a candidate who can speak to people online, and uh, you have the Obama campaign. I think that's absolutely true. But you should also, I think, recognize that Barack Obama uh, did not come out of uh, the progressive movement. He was not uh, somebody who, uh, like, uh, for instance, Elizabeth Warren today would be widely recognized as a progressive hero. Um, so in that regard, there was always a tension on the political side of the equation between the net roots and Barack Obama, uh, where their interests and their approaches overlapped, then there was great synergy, but there were also places where they were at odds with one another because they didn't really share the same political tradition. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who is a self-described democratic socialist, 
uh, and is characterized that way, uh, has really picked up the baton and uh, and offered himself as much as anything as a movement progressive. So when you have the debate between uh, Hillary and Bernie, which we saw earlier in the cycle, uh, right. where they're they're arguing over who is the better progressive, uh, they're really arguing over what is the definition of a progressive. And Bernie was speaking directly to the way I think many people who identify with the progressive movement would would consider that uh, you know their their critique of American politics mm-hmm. is that you you see these enormous uh, inequities of wealth which are held in place by a political process that uh, that favors the select few uh, and you need to address those inequities those political inequities in order to eventually address the economic inequities and uh, you know Hillary presented herself as an incrementalist uh, as a pragmatist um, but in so doing she really uh, was uh, articulating more of a, a neoliberal sentiment, uh, which the progressive movement has pushed against. So uh, you could see Bernie Sanders very clearly in the political tradition of Howard Dean, uh, but certainly from a technological standpoint, uh, you have to put Obama in the mix because there's no question the Obama campaign really did learn from the Dean campaign uh, and with additional time and resources where they were able to, uh, to put together an extraordinarily sophisticated online operation. Well, I mean, Dean's whole mantra when he ran in 2004, which, you know, granted seems seems quite a bit, bit away from today, um, was that he was well, running... It was. It was a long time ago. No, it just, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't, in some ways it isn't, in some ways it is. But uh, he, you know, he was running from, he's the, from the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. And um, you know, just trying to claim that mantle of authenticity. Uh, ab- ab- absolutely right. And I think you know what Howard Dean had to face uh, at the time was a Democratic Party that was uh, deeply entrenched in uh, a neoliberal tradition. So uh, you know, remember, two thousand four. You're just four years removed from the end of the Clinton administration, uh, and you know, Bill Clinton's success was uh, largely uh, a result of his ability to triangulate traditional Democratic interests with uh, Republican uh, demands, uh, and and you know, function as a president at a time when the public hadn't really moved politically uh, as much as it has today. Mm-hmm. So Dean, right? So Dean, Dean was operating in a different political climate. Uh, I think one of the phenomenal things that you've seen, one of the fascinating things about the way the Democratic uh, primary campaign moved, uh, is that Bernie Sanders really did uh, and continues to have an influence on uh, the positioning of the Democratic Party, uh, where you've seen Hillary Clinton move uh, more in his direction, both uh, in terms of uh, the way she would speak about issues. Uh, and now, from what we can tell, uh, a lot of that is uh, going to be reflected in the, the Democratic Party platform uh, that will be voted on in Philadelphia in a few weeks. So, uh, you know, in that regard, uh, it may not be too far-fetched to say that uh, Hillary won the nomination, uh, but Bernie won the party in many respects. And now Hillary has to figure out how to be the standard-bearer of Bernie's party. Uh, although it, the polling suggests Eighty-one percent of um, Sanders supporters have jumped to supporting Hillary, and yes, I mean Bernie did get about eighty percent of what he wanted, um, but remarkably, still hasn't endorsed. And you know, there's this, I've seen a number of commentaries that actually his 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 influence actually could be diminishing since that you know if Hillary already has more Sanders supporters than Obama had Clinton supporters at this point in time. Um, you know, Sanders doesn't really get a whole lot of credit for converting those people. And um, at this point, his endorsement may not be worth as much. Well, I, you know, I think his influence as a candidate is diminished because the campaign is very clearly over. 
the question is, uh, I think the question should be, uh, what is his influence as a movement leader? Uh, because movements are bigger than campaigns, and they, by necessity, outlast campaigns. So, uh, you know, clearly one of the things that Sanders was trying to affect was uh, influence over the Democratic platform. And, uh, and I think uh, it's probably fair to say that uh, there was far more influence in the end uh, than there would have been if he hadn't run as effective a campaign as he did. Uh, but now that that's over, I think the bigger question is whether or not uh, he remains out front, whether he remains a movement leader. Uh, you know, Hillary needs those voters. He needs Sanders. She needs Sanders voters. And she needs Sanders voters uh, not just to turn out, but preferably to be enthusiastic. Well, we haven't seen that happen. Uh, one way that could happen would be uh, for Sanders himself to enthusiastically endorse and campaign for Clinton. And I think for Sanders to do that, he has to believe first that he is uh, going to be able to advance the movement by doing so. Uh, and I think that's really what still remains to be seen in the in the weeks remaining before the convention. Uh, you know, how do these two camps ultimately come together? Uh, at what point does Sanders decide that it's time uh, to endorse Clinton? Uh, and what does that endorsement look like? Uh, and and what what has he uh, received in exchange? Right. Well, I mean, he has he has managed to get most of his plank. Approved. Um, four of his five members on the platform committee have approved the, the plank that has gone forward. And, and one of the fights they seem to be picking is over the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, Agreement, the TPP, which both Hillary and um, Sanders oppose, but which President Obama has supported. And so he's trying to force the party to be in a position of um, openly kind of rebuking its own president, who's going to be its biggest asset come the fall, um, in the platform, which just doesn't seem to be politically realistic or, you know, frankly, not a very classy move. And, well, I think, um, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's why it's running into the resistance that it is, because if you look at some of the other positions that uh, Sanders has promoted uh, that the Clinton people have agreed to, uh, it's actually quite a long list. But you're right. I think that there's a certain degree of political sensitivity uh, involving this issue. You, you mentioned that Hillary is opposed. She's opposed now. She wasn't opposed uh, when the campaign started. So, true that, true that. Right, um, you know, and, although, and that's I mean, an example, I think, of, 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 of uh, Bernie's influence. But I also it is I, I agree with you there. But you know I also think I'm, I'm frankly surprised for someone like Reich who you know was in the Clinton administration and you know, is not this isn't his first rodeo that I think you know pushing on TPP uh, in these in this circumstance kind of belies a certain political naivete. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's possible. I mean, this is a negotiation, and I think it, we'll have to see how it ends. Uh, you know, if it if it, if it ends with some agreement, uh, or if it ends with uh, with Sanders uh, simply saying, "Okay, I'm not I'm not going to get this," uh, then you know that's that's fairly typical of of negotiations. If if he decides that this is just too important a point, uh, and he's he's going to hold firm, uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. And you know, I I have I'm a, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and you know, I did campaign for Bill Clinton, um, and I did back Hillary this time. Although I backed Obama in 2008, so but my my problem with Sanders is that I've, in, in researching him is you see what some of the people who have worked with him in the past have said, from Barney Frank to some of the press in Vermont, that you know he kind of has this. That you know, only he knows what's right, and everyone else is wrong. And his inability to kind of work with others, and and frankly, I, you know, I I'm kind of I've always been concerned that at the end of the day, you know, he's going to say, if I don't get everything I want, then you know, I'm not going to play ball. I think if he wants to be influential as a movement leader, uh, that would be an unfortunate position to take, uh, even if what he's uh, asking for. Uh, you know, even 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 if it's something that uh, not only makes sense to his supporters, but it's something that his supporters would feel strongly about. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, I mean, I think what you're what you're bringing up, Bennett, is the question of whether or not uh, he's going to negotiate as somebody who uh, recognizes the limits of his influence uh, and ultimately is able to accept what he gets, 
or somebody who's going to push that further. Right now, um, especially in terms of um, you know the way uh, the, the, the negotiations over the platform, um, he has more leverage at this moment than he will once the platform is concluded. So sure. what we may be seeing is a bargaining strategy. We, we don't know yet. I understand where the concern comes from, uh, but uh, we'll know in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, in, in your book, the, the, uh, the premise is you think that the left has become stronger because of online activism. Why is that? Well, I think you've seen a movement develop online uh, which didn't exist before. Uh, if you go back to the Clinton administration, uh, there was no progressive movement to speak of. Uh, now, we did see at the end of the Clinton administration some of the rudimentary institutions that would later become central to what would develop. Uh, Move on is the one that comes to mind exactly. uh, most directly. It's one of the oldest online uh, organizations of the left. It was uh, uh, originally uh, evolved in response to the Clinton impeachment. Uh, but in terms of speaking of uh, a movement uh, that had an infrastructure, uh, that had a message, that had leaders, uh, and that had followers. Uh, you really didn't have that. Um, you know, one of one of the things, uh, going back to uh, the Dean campaign for a second. You know, one of the things that you would find if you looked in the comment threads uh, at um, had no idea that other people felt the same way I do. Uh, and of course, that's one of the things that the internet does. It's a very big sorting machine, and it allows people to find other people uh, with similar interests and beliefs. And so there you go. Uh, that enabled uh, the, the formation of a critical mass of, of supporters, uh, which over the years has then propelled the development of um, other institutions which now are uh, more carefully networked together than they were even five or six years ago. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have more about Matt's insights into the state of Netroots activism after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlawn Business Report, only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Matt Kerbel on his book, um, The Next Generation Net Boots. And Matt is also um, a blogger with the um, Wolves and Sheeps. Wolves and Sheeps or Sheeps and Wolves? 
Okay. It's Wolves and Sheep. Wolves and Sheep dot com. And um, where some of this, these same points you can find on his blog. And um, you were talking earlier that how you believe the internet has kind of led to a resurgence of kind of progressive activism and um, maybe even strengthening their position politically. And it it's interesting. I, I had I've had the opportunity to meet Richard Vigory and you know the online um, conservative um, activist who and kind of propelled um, with, with excuse me, the, the mail order of conservative actors who kind of propelled direct, direct mail. Yes. Direct propelled mail. Yeah. Um, the kind of the Republicans in the, in the, in the Reagan era. And then, you know, the Republicans seem to then master telemarketing as well after that. Um, and so it seemed like the Republicans initially got the, we were like eight years behind, 10 years behind catching up on direct mail. And then, you know, for us to actually, it seems that maybe we have done the internet better. I mean, at least definitely in the last two election cycles. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think the difference is the ability to um, permit a, uh, a decentralized community uh, to emerge organically. Uh, again, as I said in the earlier portion of, of your program, uh, Bennett, you know, this is um, the internet is, is, uh, is at its most effective as a political tool. Uh, when people are allowed to come to it. Um, in fact, if you look at some of uh, the early activism online, both on the right and the left, uh, the right blogosphere actually was larger than the left blogosphere uh, in its uh, initial incarnation. So you actually had a great deal of energy on the right. Um, and in both instances, you saw both right and left uh, left uh, some very interesting novel perspectives, new voices emerge with their own websites. The difference is, on the right, you already had a highly institutionalized set of structures for message generation, message discipline, uh, and also uh, integrated with uh, the Republican Party so that you had, uh, if, you, if you noticed for years, Republicans are always very good at message discipline. Uh, right. They often say the same things. Uh, you'll hear the same messages in uh, conservative media as well. Uh, and that wasn't a coincidence. This was all uh, very well uh, orchestrated, coordinated, and financed uh, in a top-down manner that was quite suitable to uh, the television era. So early uh, with the onset of the Internet, uh, you saw uh, some of those early voices either co-opted by uh, large organizations or uh, basically marginalized uh, in order to bring the Internet into this broader, uh, well-oiled machine. Uh, the left didn't have anything like that. So in some respects, uh, it's a simple accident of history. Uh, the fact that there was no organized left, uh, no uh, set of institutions to co-opt the emerging voices on the left, uh, they were allowed to flourish. Uh, and uh, they did flourish in fits and starts. It didn't work smoothly at first. Uh, there were some gaps. There are still some gaps. Uh, but over time, uh, we've seen the emergence of a uh, what is now uh, a fairly sophisticated uh, set of uh, institutions, organizations uh, that now talk to each other, interact with each other, uh, that interact with progressive think tanks, that interact with uh, elected officials. And we're starting to see now uh, the ability of um, the, uh, the progressive left to actually win some victories in Congress, to be able to uh, demonstrate some strength and effectiveness as at the governing level, uh, and uh, not quite yet at the electoral level in the electorate. Uh, but I think uh, if, uh, if the Sanders campaign is any indication, uh, that's another movement uh, forward in that direction as well. Now, when you mentioned that in the early era of the Internet, the uh, the conservative voices were more dominant, and you know, um, like the Drudge Report, for example. Uh, I imagine that's what you're referring sure. to, and um, and at the time, Move On emerged, and you know, they were stepping into a void where the online blogosphere, as limited as it was, was largely you know anti Clinton and, and pro impeachment. Right, and in that's fact, exactly right. one of those blogs. You know, one of the one of the blogs seeking you know signatures for impeachment 
was run by a, a person named Ariana Huffington. <laughs> yeah, and, and so right. I'm asking this is because how important, because Huffington Post launches in 2005. And by 2005, Ariana Huffington isn't the conservative woman she was in you know, 1998 or you know, right after you or even earlier after her husband um, you know, ran for Senate and lost. Um, how important is Ariana Huffington's conversion so that when Huffington Post launches, she's a progressive? Or another way to put it is if, uh, if Ariana Huffington hadn't shown up on the left, somebody else has. Uh, would there have been another vehicle like the Huffington Post? And, of course, we can't know that. Uh, right. But in terms of the way the history did play out, sure, of course, it was important. And, you know, by 2005 now, uh, you're seeing the Internet itself mature enough that uh, an, an organization like the Huffington Post can, uh, can sustain itself, uh, can sustain an audience and ultimately grow uh, to, uh, you know, to have a following uh, that rivals traditional print publications. We weren't really seeing much of that before uh, the middle part of the last decade, but by then certainly uh, something like that could happen. So sure, that was an extremely important piece in the evolution of what we see as these institutions on the left that now uh, form uh, what, I, what I call the, um, the, the progressive left. And... Um- Part of the progressive left, I, I think, part of the infrastructure of it is is Act Blue. How important is Act Blue in terms of the um, in promoting the the progressive candidates you know, via the internet? So that's it's again another very important piece. If you look at the the different things that uh, you can do on the internet from a bottom up perspective. Uh, fundraising is obviously a critical piece of this. So you have uh, coordination, uh, people who are like-minded finding one another, which we talked about earlier uh, in our discussion. Uh, you have news dissemination, uh, which in the early uh, iteration of the Internet uh, was done largely through blogs, and then we see the development of organizations like the Huffington Post, and then later news dissemination through social media. Uh, and you have fundraising. And the fundraising piece of this is enormous. I mean, really, uh, what uh, what put Howard Dean on the map inside the Beltway uh, was his ability to raise money. Nobody had raised money uh, to that extent and for such an extended period of time in small dollar uh, increments uh, before uh, Howard Dean. I mean, you did see uh, some hint of that in 2000, uh, where John McCain was able to raise money very quickly. Uh, on the internet during the primaries, but that was nothing compared to what Howard Dean was able to do. So over the years, uh, institutions developed to be able to uh, to refine this to more of a of a high art than it had been initially, uh, where uh, the Dean people were just dealing with um, supporters who actually uh, quite literally asked them to be asked for money, if that makes any sense. Uh, if, if anybody who remembers the Dean campaign, uh, if you went on the blog, people would say, put up a bat, a baseball bat was the symbol of fundraising, and the baseball bat would fill with, with red uh, ink as, as people gave more money, like, like a fundraiser. Uh, people would ask, you know, raise money off of this. You know, Dick Cheney just said something outrageous. Raise money off of this. What campaign has its supporters asking them right. to do I mean, a fundraiser? It just didn't happen. So that was that was the Dean campaign circa 2003. Fast forward, and now we start to see organizations that are designed to uh, to put lists together to identify people uh, who are likely to give and uh, to be able to coordinate that giving and then distribute it uh, to candidates who can benefit from it. Now, just for uh, our listeners, we have some background on our blog um, at cyberlawradio.wordpress. Um, both it has a, you know, information on Matt, his bio, and information on the book, as well as um, there's a, slide, um, a PowerPoint slide share available to kind of outline some of the early history uh, on the Netroots activism um, starting with move on and, and going up to the, the Sanders campaign. So if you if you um, want some information uh, about this topic, this little bit there, including, um, for example, highlighting the role of um, Act Blue, which apparently has raised um, a billion dollars to date for Democratic candidates. Right, exactly, and uh, so that makes it an invaluable piece. 
of uh, this progressive infrastructure that I was talking about. And, and so in your book, you, you talk about, you know, so this has been um, feeding and, and it's creating, I guess there's different aspects of it. One is it's creating um, thought communication. You know, Huffington Post is obviously a very influential blog now, and, and people, you know, what, what gets posted there, it now has wide dissemination. And, um, in vo- and there are voices that weren't, weren't previously being heard are now being heard. Um, right. and, and how important is the, and I don't want to just, you know, granted, I write for Huffington, so I have a bias, but, you know, there's just a lot of other great blogs um, that deserve mention as well. Um, how important has that, you know, the, everything from Huffington Post to Talking Points Memo and, and the others, how important have they been to really um, you know, getting the word out and, and stimulating debate on, um, on these issues? They were extremely important. Well, let me actually correct that. They are extremely important. Uh, but what I was going to say was they were um, of paramount importance during the first iteration of uh, the Internet left. When we're taking a, a look at uh, really the pre-social media Internet, uh, the blogs were uh, the central uh, core, I guess you could say, of, uh, of, of the progressive space. So um, critical to moving the progressive movement, developing the progressive movement, uh, were the presence of community blogs. Uh, those are blogs where people could post their own diaries uh, and, and write their own comments. And uh, if, if we go back to the period uh, 2008 and immediately prior, uh, you find that the traffic on community blogs on the left uh, simply far outpaced traffic on uh, the right. And in fact, the right had very few community blogs uh, because they had been co-opted earlier on. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you look at Daily Coast, which remains the largest political blog on the right or left and remains uh, a large community blog, uh, it is today a little bit uh, more of an anomaly uh, than it was a few years ago. Uh, many of those smaller blogs died out, um, but in the day, they were extremely important. Uh, they would link to each other. Uh, people would find other blogs through blog rolls that were posted mm-hmm. uh, on the front page of the blog, right? You remember blog rolls? Right. And, right, of course. Uh, and, and that's how new voices were heard. It's how new blogs got traffic. Uh, and it's how communities were developed and sustained. And um, one issue I'd like to talk about, and we're going to have to take a short break, is um, where we are now and the, the limits, and in particularly in terms of um, where we are in terms of the Sanders campaign and the limitations it discovered, and, but also the emergence of um, some new progressive leaders, like, for example, like Zephyr Teachout and maybe some others. Um, but we're going to take a short break. Um, we'll be back with Matt after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsor. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at wmetraining.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix... 
So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and uh, we're talking with Matthew Kerber on his book, which has just been released. It is called Next Generation Netroots. And um, Matt, um, are you still with us? I am, Bennett. So, um... We talked a lot about the early stages and the, the role of um, blogs and the, and kind of get, I guess would be mainly be the Bush era and um, and now with the um, Obama era we've had this, the social media which really fueled um, dialogue both good and bad I would say and and so um, but we, we're seeing definitely in terms of, as you mentioned in terms of the nature of the debate. Um, that's happened in the Democratic primary um, this year. Clearly, there has been, um, through the blogosphere and the activists, um, and I guess credit should also be given to the Occupy movement, you know, uh, the debate has shifted than, than what it was maybe four years earlier. Um, but you, I think in your book, you say there are certain limits and what the, there seems to be somewhat of a, um, the, the net roots activists are somewhat isolated or haven't been able to reach um, the non-internet engaged um, groups, which may, which form significant portions of the democratic base. Yeah, and uh, that's something that uh, the uh, the internet left is going to have to uh, contend with, and I think is trying to contend with. Uh, if you look at the emergence of the net roots online, uh, you can look at it in concert with uh, what we always called the digital divide. Uh, right. People who had had online access, uh, who had access to uh, the internet before it was widespread, uh, and the digital divide tended uh, to um, favor people uh, with greater means. Uh, people, uh, white people, more than people of color, were more likely to be connected online. And over the years, uh, the net roots as an online movement uh, has developed uh, more with people uh, who are uh, better. Uh, who have higher incomes um, and uh, who tend to be uh, have a higher level of education and uh, tend to be disproportionately more white than people of color. So, in order to form uh, effective coalitions, um, the 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 net roots need to find a way to make up for this lost time and reach people who were uh, less likely to have been engaged online uh, in the earlier years. Um, which means reaching out to other constituencies which are not native to the Internet left. Um, we see this happening to a certain degree uh, in government, uh, where progressives in Congress are starting to form uh, effective coalitions with other elements of the Democratic Party. Uh, and in a sense, I think if you look at the Sanders campaign, and you look at the limitation of the Sanders campaign, uh, he had difficulty, especially in the early months of the campaign, uh, reaching out to Democrats of color. And uh, so if you, if you look at the Sanders campaign through this filter as a movement uh, operation, uh, the, the limitations that Sanders faced are not all that different from the limitations that uh, progressives in general are facing uh, in terms of building electoral coalitions. Uh, one of the things we write about in the book is the analogy between uh, where the progressive movement is today and where the conservative movement was 30, 35 years ago. 
if we look at the emergence of the progressive movement online from its early days when it was largely dismissed as being, uh, you know, bloggers were considered a bunch of dirty hippies who were blogging from their parents' basements. And it was very easy <laughs> to dismiss. You remember those days, right? Yeah, it, I do. It was very I easy do. to dismiss. Well, there's an analogy to the conservative movement as well, uh, where they were considered to be uh, really a fringe group of complainers uh, who had absolutely no power, uh, no access to the Republican Party, uh, and very few resources to work with. And uh, it's, a, it's a very long story. If anybody's interested in it, uh, we uh, go into it in detail in Next Generation Netroots. But basically, one of, the, one of the stages that the conservative movement needed to work through was this coalition-building stage. And I think you can make a similar case about uh, the progressive net roots, that they need to work through uh, this coalition building stage where they can reach out to and form coalitions with groups that are not native to the internet or native to the movement, but with which they can find common ground. For conservatives, the final piece of the puzzle, uh, which took place right before Ronald Reagan was elected president, was reaching out to white evangelical voters, uh, who by and large had either been Democrats or uh, not particularly active in the political process. Once once movement conservatives were able to bring those voters into a coalition, they were able to fashion national majorities. So I think it's fair to say that the progressive movement from an electoral standpoint is at that juncture where they're, they're looking for ways to be able to build these coalitions, which could potentially be winning coalitions down the line. Um, uh, just to note, um, it is being reported in Politico that Sanders has just come from a meeting with House Democrats in which he was booed. <laughs> um, so I guess there is um, some tension well, I guess, about... I guess I, there's no endorsement yet. Yeah, I, I, he actually... I, what, what, apparently what triggered the booing um, was he said uh, it was something, it was a quote that said, the goal isn't to win elections, the goal is to transform America which, of course, you can't do if you don't win elections. And apparently that quote um, triggered some boos from those Democrats in the presence. Um, well, of course. And, and that, would, so, that wouldn't be surprising. And, and so in terms of transforming um, and building these coalitions, um, what, what, are the, what are the hopeful signs and what do you think are the, the challenges you, that you see as well? Well, actually, I, I, I see what happened during the primaries as a hopeful sign and the fact that Bernie Sanders did catch fire and was able to influence Hillary Clinton uh, and was able to influence, uh, from what we can tell, the, um, the Democratic Party platform. So I, mean, I think that's, that's a hopeful sign that these things, these things generally move incrementally. They move slowly. Um, you, um, you mentioned Occupy a little while ago, yeah. and I think you're absolutely right that, uh, that certainly Occupy did shift the narrative framing of the way we talk about our economics and our economic situation. Uh, so you, 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 know, you can point to moments like that where you say, uh, okay, this appears to be uh, a visible indication of, of, of change or progress. Um, so I do think that that's, uh, that's what I would look at. Uh, I would also look at the demography of the Democratic Party, uh, which is changing dramatically. Uh, if you look at exit poll data from the various primary states, in almost every state, the proportion of Democratic voters who self-identify as liberal or very liberal uh, was up, and in some cases up dramatically, uh, from the comparable figures four years ago. Uh, that shows a change within the Democratic Party, that the Democratic Party is on the verge of becoming a liberal party, something it never was. So I look at that and I say that we, you know, we, can, we can point to that as an additional indicator of progress brought about in part by movement progressives. In terms of prospects, we, we write about a couple of outcomes in the book. 
And I know we're probably running out of time, so I can't go into right. too much detail on this. But the model that we use is the model of political realignment. And we argue that we are there's evidence that we are at an inflection point in our politics, but we don't know which way we're going to inflect. So uh, we were writing before the rise of Trump, before the rise of Sanders. Uh, I think you could look at what we wrote and predict each one of them. Uh, not that you would predict them as individuals, but you can look at why each one of them caught on this cycle uh, and I think it does make sense in light of the model that we're presenting but I will leave for your listeners I'm going to, I'm going to leave uh, your listeners in a little bit of suspense uh, because we're running out of time uh, sure. but I will, say, I will say that if we are correct and we're at an inflection point uh, then we may be moving into a progressive era or we may be moving in the opposite direction and a lot depends on factors we talk about in the book. I, I would posit this. Um, you know, I came to Washington in 1981. I always tell people I came the same year as Ronald Reagan and Joe Gibbs. Um, but I, a lot of people say Reagan's election sing, was signaled to a realignment. I would say it's Carter's defeat and the, and the Democratic Congress defeat, the loss of the Senate that same year, um, is what was the realignment. And then the Republicans seized that opportunity. Um, it, it was a repudiation of Democrats in '80, um, not so much as an embrace of Reagan. And I think if with Trump on the ballot, that the same could happen here on the Republican side. We only have two minutes left. I want to give you a chance to you know, tell, you know, get a plug for if you're speaking anywhere soon, or just you know how best to contact you. Um, this is this is your your, your minute and a half. <laughs> Thank you, Bennett. Uh, I, the best way to contact me would be through my blog, uh, Wolves and Sheep, which is uh, at wolvesandsheep.com. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, place for sending comments. If you'd like to email me, I'm more than happy to receive comments. And uh, I would invite anybody who's interested in uh, this discussion and would like to hear more uh, along these lines. I write about uh, what's happening in today's politics using the analytical framework that uh, we use in Next Generation Networks. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. And again, um, check out the book. It is a link to it on the blog um, at cyberlawradio.wordpress. But it is Next Generation Netroots, Realignment and the Rise of the Internet Left. And I want to thank you again, um, Matthew Kerbel, the author. And um, it's been a pleasure having you. Um, and he's at Villanova University, which is the now reigning national basketball champions. And um, congratulations to you um, on the release of the book. And um, I want to thank you for joining us. Join us next week. Uh, we will be talking about, um, we'll be traveling to Europe um, indirectly in to talk about Google's many battles there. And then the following week, um, we actually have Dan Lyons, author of Disrupted and one of the screenwriters for um, the, the HBO show Silicon Valley. So um, have a great week. Um, rest in peace, Ellie Wissell. And um, we will see you next week right here, your Cyberlong Business Report. Have a great week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.